It's a gospel on the radio talk show. A show about dreams and visions and a church that is indeed triumphant, alive, and well. For the church triumphant is alive and well. Hello, Tallahassee. This is the Gospel on the Radio talk show. I'm Pastor Jack King. I am your host, and this is a show about dreams and Visions and a church triumphant, alive and well. And this is Easter Sunday morning, 2023. And of course, on these Easter Sundays, we just talk about the story. And this is the story of Christ Jesus. It's a story of God the Father and his love for humanity and his willingness to send his only begotten son to this world and to live among us humans, and to take on the veil of flesh, and to live that sinless life, and go to a cross, a cruel cross, and there to suffer and to die, that we might live. And that's the joyous celebration in which we are a part of today. I want to welcome you. And uh, let me just start off by just saying that we'd love to have you visit with us at Freedom Road, the church that I pastor, 11.05 on Sunday mornings. And of course, being Easter Sunday, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, our address, 720 Capital Circle Northeast in the Crescent Park Plaza. And we are between Easterwood Drive and Park Avenue on Capital Circle so look for us on the right-hand side of the road. You'll see our sign out there on Sunday morning. We're in a storefront there. And like I say, we love having visitors. F-R-C-M-dot-U-S. And, of course, I always love to hear from the radio audience. If you want to give me a call, let me know that you are listening. And uh, might have a comment or two. Uh, area code 850 that's how you get in touch with me. And you can also find this uh, program on the podcast. You can listen to it again, or you can share it with a friend if you would desire to do so. It's podcast number, or show number 1117. 1117. And that's also the number of shows that, uh, that I've been involved in over 20-some years of doing this broadcast, and it's a joy for me to do so. But uh, as I say, Easter is a uh, story that has a long history to it. We think about this day as just, just being the time that's on the cross. But the truth of the matter is, is that uh, this had been building over the generations because God created us humans. He created man. He created woman. And we find the story given to us in the book of Genesis where it talks about how that God created man and then later he created woman and he created a paradise for them to live in. We call it the Garden of Eden. Now the reality is is that we don't really know how long the Garden of Eden existed. 
It could have been a short time or a long time. We just do not know. And I know that there's a lot of questions uh, that people come up and when they're digging around and they're finding rocks and different formations and different things, and they go, well, tell us all about this. Because we have the Genesis account of a number of years, but again, we don't know. We don't know how long they were in the garden. But what we do know is that this was a, uh, and I'm going to use a word that may be a little controversial. It was a test, but uh, not so much a test to say, hey, you passed this or you failed this, but just a time to know that their obedience was in their heart, that they had a heart to obey God and to obey his voice, his rules. And so for however long that they lived there, they were doing what God had said. He said, you can have anything you want. You can dress and keep the garden. You can enjoy all the fruits of the, of the, and the spoils of the garden. But those two trees in the middle of the garden, you're not to touch. And uh, how long they were able to be in obedience and uh, comply with what the word of God was. But there came that time. When the enemy, or the devil, the the snake, it says, as he come, uh, there's as I see in my mind him slithering through the garden, and Scripture tells us that at first he beguiled the woman Eve, and he convinced her that the word of God was not true, and she partook of that fruit, and then she gave it to her husband. They convinced him to do the same. Thus began that uh, time in history to where God and man no longer is in a situation to where they can just sit and converse because now man in his sinful state realizes that he has rejected God's word and that now there is a gulf between them. Well, God could have just given up on humanity. And he could have just destroyed humanity. But God didn't choose to do that. God said there's another way. And uh, so that other way is the story that we proclaim today here on Easter Sunday morning. It's the story. And he said, is it the end of the story or the beginning of the story? No, it's, it's, it's just part of the story. Because the time that passes by and God working his plan to where man could once again be restored to that same relationship that God and man had in the garden all those many, many years ago. God working the plan. We had Old Testament prophets who would talk about the coming of God's Son, the Messiah, and it predicted it. It prophesied of it. There would come this day when uh, God would send his Son from heaven in order to deliver man out of its depravity and out of its uh, rebellious state, its separation for the presence of God. So God sent his son. 
But before there was Jesus, there was the cousin of Jesus, and that's a, a man that we refer to as John. John the Baptist, we call him. Mighty, mighty, powerful preacher who talked about salvation, even though it wasn't as we would know it through the blood of the Lamb. He talked about repentance. He talked about making the path straight and the coming of him who John said that he was not even worthy to even untie his shoe. But John set the stage for the ministry of the Son of God. And as we go through the story today, we will show you that all of this led up to what God knew that was going to have to happen. And that's the cross. This is the wise nets over trusting in the blood. I'm trusting the blood. See, as Christians, that's what we do. We believe the blood of Jesus, that precious blood of Jesus, is the uh, the cure. <laughs> it's the cure for our sins and disobedience, because He shed His blood, precious, spotless, sinless blood, sprinkled it on the mercy seat of heaven, and there brings us to that place where we can ask God to forgive us of our sins and to ask Jesus Christ to save us in the aspect that he speaks for us. And so I'm trusting that the blood of Jesus is adequate. And, uh, and I believe that uh, he went to the cross of Calvary and he died there once for all the sins of humanity and he doesn't have to do it again doesn't have to do it again. He died for humanity once and for all. So now, for us who are Christians, truly are Christians, people who are followers of Jesus Christ, we've accepted that. And we've asked him to forgive us of our sins. And we believe that it is done. But for those who are outside of faith, they haven't embraced this. And many people develop their own uh, theologies about these things. But I'm just one who just takes the Bible as it is. I read it, I study it, and when I find in the Scripture the steps that I must take in order to gain eternal life, just simply to say, I confess my sins, and uh, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now let me remind you once again, we will be having services this morning at Freedom Road, the church that I pastor, 720 Capital Circle Northeast in the Crescent Park Plaza between Easterwood Drive and Park Avenue. So if you're heading toward Park Avenue on Capital Circle, 
then look for that sign on the right-hand side of the road. There's a big sign there that says Freedom Road Christian Ministry. You're all welcome. We'd love to have you come out and worship with us today at Freedom Road. Um, the blood of Jesus Christ, as the song was talking about here, that I'm trusting the blood was freely given. And Jesus uh, was following in, you know, in the obedience of his Father. But before we went to the song, we're talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, uh, he preached repentance. And uh, as he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of all humanity. And uh, that's also when he said, uh, his ministry must increase. My ministry must decrease. And then we find that uh, John is imprisoned because he was a bold preacher. I mean, he, he, he held nothing back. And he wasn't afraid to preach, even if it meant to say that the king was married to his brother's uh, wife, and he would just be very bold to say, that's wrong. And of course, uh, that type of preaching got him arrested. And why he's in the prison um, he is beheaded. And now those followers of John, and there were many, they began to follow Jesus. And um, his ministry, the ministry of Jesus, at that point was not uh, as well known as in the ministry of John. But there was something different about the ministry of Jesus Christ and the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached repentance and he spoke the word of God. But John the Baptist did not do miracles. And Jesus, he distinguished himself from the ministry of John in the aspect that he performed miracles. And uh, not only the miracles, but the words. And the words that would come forth out of the, the mouth of Jesus Christ was just incredible. And uh, the Gospel of Mark is such a wonderful description of how the, the ministry of Jesus Christ begins to unfold. And of course, uh, we have the account where he went down to the Jordan River and uh, so John the baptizer, that's when John says, no, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. And uh, Jesus said, we must be in obedience. And so John baptized him, the heavens opened, the dove of God says, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. Mark's gospel says, then the spirit of God drove him into the wilderness and there, the wilderness experience. 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water. He was hungry. He was weakened. 
Scripture says that God sent angels to bear him up. And then the tempter came. And the tempter tempted him in all phases of sin, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And in every way, Jesus spoke the word of God, and he was victorious over the enemy. And the devil departed for a while. And as the scripture says, angels came, ministered to Jesus. We next find him in the temple or in the synagogue. And uh, he had met four men, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, Scripture tells us that many of the disciples of John left following John and followed Jesus, and Andrew was one of them. And the Scripture says, Then Andrew went and got his brother Peter, or Simon. And uh, then Jesus called James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And Mark tells us in the gospel how that Jesus took them to church that Sunday morning or that Sabbath day. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself there. The Sabbath took him to the temple and uh, took him to the synagogue, I'm sorry. And uh, he preached a sermon that morning. And John's gospel tells us that when those four men were discussing what had happened after they came out of the building, they said, we've never heard anybody preach like that. We've never heard those types of truths before. It was a powerful message. And those men, they were stirred. And those men decided they would commit their life to following this man and being a part of his ministry. And it's a powerful thing to see how that those five people, those first four disciples in Christ Jesus, they had a very special bond because it was them who he took up on the mountain during the transfiguration. It was them that he took him deeper into the garden with him there in the garden of Gethsemane. And now as they left that synagogue that day, things begin to happen. And the tells is there in the synagogue, and they brought the scripture to him. And he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to the brokenhearted. And the ministry began to take off. And I like to describe it a lot of times as being, I call them crusades, meetings, beginning in the synagogues and then in the houses, and then it just got so where they there were so many people, a house wouldn't hold them. And he would stand on the side of the mountains or he would get into a, a small boat and push off from the shore just a little bit, and they'd stand there on the, on the seashore while Jesus would just preach. Many people came to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Many people brought their sick and their suffering. 
and Jesus would minister to them and he would heal them. It was a powerful, powerful time. It's a triumphant quartet. It's called The Greatest Love Story. You see, when we see a cross, see, this is what it means to us as Christians, as a triumphant quartet has sang about the great love story is told when you see a cross. And today there'll be crosses at sunrise services or what we call at our church a resurrection services. We have three crosses out there it represents that great love story, a story of Christ Jesus who died on that cross that we might have eternal life. So the ministry of Jesus Christ, as it began to unfold, it was powerful. And uh, the crowds went from being crowds to being multitudes. And uh, the people would come and, and uh, they would just be so engrossed in uh, words that Jesus was preaching and the things that were happening because people were being saved, demons were being cast out, and uh, sometimes they would just uh, forget to eat. <laughs> and maybe a day or so would go by and they would just be ravished. And, and uh, those times when uh, they said, well, we need to send the people away. That's what the disciples said. We need to we need to send them away because they're they're just uh, there's nothing to feed them here. And uh, Jesus said, uh, "Feed them." He said to the disciples, "He said, feed them." And uh, they said, "There's nothing here." They said, "There's some little boy. He's got a few fishes and some bread, and he makes some sandwiches." I mean, but just there's not enough here to feed a multitude. And Jesus said, "Bring it to me." And uh, Scripture says that Jesus prayed over that little bit of food, and then he began to hand it to the disciples because he wanted it to go through their hands. He wanted them to experience this. And I said they just began to keep passing out the food, and it just never ended. It just kept going. It kept going. And when it was finally done, it says there were 12 baskets of fragments left over. What was happening here is that Jesus was bringing hope, hope to people who are who are desperate, living in hard times, living under the the rule of a very hard government. And here, this man, with his words and his his love, lives were being touched. Well, the news of this got down to Jerusalem. And uh, the hierarchy in the, quote, church, they were not happy because here was this man up there in the regions of Galilee, and he's preaching these tremendous sermons, and these multitudes are showing up, and uh, that just can't happen. And it's a threat. It's a threat to those who, quote, were in 
power. So if you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells us about it. And it's really intriguing to me because I'd never seen this as it's threaded through the Gospels until I read the Gospel of Mark. And I, I, I began to preach it to my congregation. We went through the whole Gospel of Mark, uh, Sunday by Sunday. And uh, I was just fascinated. Because the first thing that we find is that, that there were uh, scribes, Pharisees, uh, and different ones, of the Sadducees, that they were set up to just disrupt, that's all just to disrupt, and they would, they would ask questions. They would just do things that would cause uh, disruption among the crowds. But uh, after a while, they began to realize that this wasn't effective. This wasn't stopping him. He's, it, was like a, it was just a, a movement, and it was just getting bigger and bigger. They said, uh, something's got to happen here. So then... We find it uh, in the times of teaching that they would ask him questions. And, and these questions were designed to try to trip him up so that he would say something that they could make a big case out of so that they could discredit him and discredit his ministry. But Jesus was... Uh, very aware of this. And he used his words very, very carefully. And when these questions would be asked of him, he'd just turn the question around. And uh, he'd say something like, uh, when he held up a, a coin, a Roman coin, and he'd say, whose image is this on this coin? And they'd say, well, that's Caesar. Then he'd hand the coin back to them and he'd say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And so he always had that ability. And then he would tell these incredible stories. We call them parables. But these stories would, would just the heart and it would proclaim a truth in such a way and the people would they would hear these stories and, and uh, they would be drawn to the story so you know how it is when you when you have a speaker who's a good storyteller you get your attention but Jesus had that ability to, to tell a story in such a way that people would just would be in awe and then sometimes when the evening would come and uh, Jesus would draw away from the crowds and his disciples would go with him, they'd say, oh, Master, tell us about the story. Tell us everything about the story. Give us insight into the story. And Jesus would just begin to teach and, and tell them about the story. And the crowds just kept coming. And there were people like Mary Magdalene. It says that when Mary Magdalene came to one of the meetings in one of the Crusades, she was a mess. I mean, she would have had to have been because the scripture says she had seven devils in her. Just imagine 
walking around with seven demons or seven devils in you. And it says it, Jesus cast those seven devils out of her. And uh, from that time on, that woman, she just loved Jesus. And she became a part of the, of the team because the scripture talks about these women. Uh, she was one of them, Susanna, the Marys. And they were the ones manning the campfires, the cook fires, and they were preparing the meals so when the, the men came back after a long day of being out there among the people, and they would prepare the meals for them. And uh, Mary Magdalene, she just tirelessly ministered to Jesus, to these men, to the ministry. And I think it's just a beautiful thing that God honored her. She was the first one to see the resurrected Lord. You see, Mary Magdalene, people who were desperate and living in desperate times, who found hope. Who found hope in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Gaither vocal band. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary because I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe in the ministry of Jesus Christ and I believe that he did give himself as a ransom on Calvary's cross. Let me remind you to join me Monday through Friday here on 94.1 for the daily broadcast. That's a daily Bible teaching of the Word of God. 11 o'clock here on 94.1. And then, of course, Saturday night. You don't want to miss that. That's the Saturday night gospel sing, a full hour of Southern gospel music. And we have a good time. And I want to make sure that you are aware of these things so you can come and uh, just uh, turn on your radio and sit down and just enjoy the music. Or maybe you're out driving around in your car. Make sure you got your presets ready. Tune in Saturday night. 7 o'clock here on 94.1. It's Wave 94. The ministry of Christ Jesus and the hope, the hope that he brought. And people who came, Scripture talks about that they would, uh, they would bring their loved ones to the meetings, just hoping that uh, they would be touched and healed and uh Faith and hope was just spreading across the uh, the upper regions there, up in the areas of Galilee. And of course, uh, Jesus knew what his destiny was. He knew where this was all leading to. We talked about it at Freedom Road, the church that I pastored last Sunday, the day that we call Palm Sunday. Because they took the, the the branches off the palm trees and they they laid it in the path 
as Jesus came into the city, riding on that uh, that beast of burden that had never anyone else had ever set on before, and uh, it was a powerful time. I could just imagine it in my mind. Uh, I could hear the music playing and the praises and the shouts of the people. And those who had tried their best to disrupt his meetings, them who had tried their best to discredit his ministry and what he was doing. And we find it in Mark's gospel and also in Matthew and in John. And John tells us that uh, after the resurrection of Lazarus, because John's the only one that tells us about this, but it tells us that after the resurrection of Lazarus, it said the crowds intense and began to grow. And people were coming not only to hear Jesus and to see the miracles and be a part of the campaign, they came to see Lazarus. Because how many people had ever seen somebody who had been uh, dead for four days in a tomb and was out walking around? And so the crowds were getting even bigger. And the powers that be were becoming even more and more threatened. And the very next chapter, after it tells us about the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, it says that the council met and they came to the conclusion there was only one way to stop him. We've got to kill him. And so as Jesus came into that city on that day, the scripture tells us that uh, Pharisees were there. And they heard all the commotion. They heard all of the shouting and the, and the praising that was going on. And they, they said, Master, tell them to stop. Tell them to stop all of this noise and all of this stuff. And Jesus turned to him and said, if they don't cry out and praise me, then the stones will. In other words, the rocks will cry out because there's such excitement and uh, the power of God is so incredible. So as Jesus made his entry into that city, he began to minister. He began to uh, do what he, he was doing. He was touching people and healing people. He goes to the temple and he sees what's going on in the temple. And uh, he picks up these uh, cords and he begins to swing them around. And he ran them out. He said, look, this is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Well, you can imagine how that went over. And uh, so they were plotting so how are we going to do this? We've already determined we're going to kill him, but we've got all these crowds to contend with. We can't just do it out in broad daylight because the people will come after us. And so they sought to infiltrate the group, his followers. 
And they found one who had some character flaws. Judas. Judas is a carrot. And uh, they took him aside and they made him an offer. You remember, he was the one that uh, was upset because this young lady was anointing Jesus with his oil and uh, of spikenard. It's very expensive ointment. And Judas said, uh, why are we wasting all of this? This could be sold and give to the poor. You can see where his mind was. He was, he was all about the money. And so they came to him and they offered him 30 pieces of silver. If you can betray him and bring us to him someplace when he's away from the multitudes. And uh, Judas took the money. And uh, I think he knew that there would come a time when uh, Jesus would go to the garden because he often did. And sure enough, thereafter, the Passover meal, Jesus left the disciples there. It had been a powerful, powerful time. It was there that he anointed their feet and, uh, and then he ministered to them. And then he goes to the garden to pray. And uh, that's when he prayed through. And I, oh, I tell you what, I, I've read that account many, many times there in Gethsemane. You see, I, I believe that's where the victory was won. Oh, the cross was terrible. The beating, the, the cruelty, the, those, those are horrible, horrible things. But I believe the victory was won in the garden because it said that uh, he sweat blood. I mean, he perspired blood. And just like it was in the wilderness when the God dispatched angels to share, shore him up in the, in the wilderness, the same thing happened here in the garden. But Jesus prayed through. He said, uh, not my will, but thy will be done. And then Judas came with those men with their swords, their, their torches, and they took him away. And they took him through that uh, cruel time there, that mock trial, that uh, the whole pretense of justice. There was no justice. But God had a mission. And uh, as Scripture says, that God sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is the way it must be. And uh, they beat him. They stripped him of his garments. They mocked him. And they put that cross, the cross, that instrument of cruelty, upon his back after they'd beat him as they carry this up to Golgotha's hill. And uh, in his wicked state, he stumbled and fell. And they, they grabbed Simon of Cyrene and they said, here, you carry this cross for him. And they took him up on that hill. And they took nails. And they nailed those 
nails into his hands and into his feet. You see, they didn't do that to everyone they crucified, but they did it to Jesus. And they laid him on that cross and then they raised that cross, those big burly Roman soldiers, and then they let it drop with a thud and it fell into the hole and it ripped the skin. And then he hung there. Such a time. It's kind of like history just stood still for a while. Many things happened there. Jesus said to John, Behold thy mother. To Mary, Behold thy son. And then he talked to those two men to his right and his left and led one to salvation. A powerful time. And he cried out. And then he said, Eli, Eli, lava sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the scripture says, he gave up the ghost and he died. And all of those who had plotted and planned, oh, they thought they'd won the victory. But you see, the victory was not in the death so much as it was in the resurrection because the cross couldn't hold him. It was his choice to hang there. He could have called legions of angels, but he chose not to because he chose to be obedient to his father because he loved humanity. And he allowed himself to suffer and to die. But oh, church, it's the story of the resurrection. Because the resurrection is the hope, the hope that all of those crowds and multitudes were coming to him for. And they come seeking hope. And they thought that all was lost. But here it is, all of these years later. In 2023, we're still singing about it. And we're still celebrating. And we're still excited. Because, you see, his death and his resurrection has brought resurrection power to all of us. Scripture says all those who will believe, all of those who will accept him as their Lord and Savior can have the joy of their salvation and know, know that they asked Jesus Christ to save their souls, that he will. And then he rose. It says that the, the women came very, very early in the morning to the sepulcher, but he was not there. You see, and he's still not there. Scripture tells us that he is on the right hand of the Father, and he's there speaking for you and for me. And we confess our sins. He's faithful and just, the scripture says, to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Again, brothers. We need a fresh plan.
slopes of Calvary, remember where we could have been. I think that's right. I think that's right. We we need a fresh glimpse of Calvary. Basically, I look at it like this. There just needs to be a renewal. We read on the news, there's a lot of trouble in this world. And uh, sometimes these things seem very alarming. And we wonder, what's the future hold? Well, for me, I just think about what Scripture tells us that uh, as Jesus said, he says, uh, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to return. And the Bible tells us about how that Jesus is going to establish his eternal kingdom and it's going to be a glorious place. And in that place, he says, there will be no more death, no more dying, no more sorrow, not even a tear to dim, or to dim the eye. And so in these times, I'm mindful of the scripture that says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. See, that's the message of hope. This world is temporal. It's, we're really not here very long. This is just a time to where we get acquainted with the Lord before we go to live with him forever. As he told us that he would prepare a place for us, and he goes to the Father. So if you're outside of faith, if you are someone you haven't much thought about, God, eternal life, your salvation, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just come to your heart and just begin to speak to you and begin to minister to you and to just tell you about the great love of God. That love so strong that he would not give up on us, but make a way for us to have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Father God, I pray over this radio audience. I pray for each and every one, Father. If there's one outside of faith, I pray that the Holy Spirit would go to them and speak to them, oh, Father God. Lord, bring them to a saving knowledge of who Christ is. And Father, I pray over our churches today I pray, Father, for every pastor that goes to a pulpit today. I pray for America. Father, I pray for peace in this world. I pray, God, for peace in the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Until next Sunday morning, may the Lord bless you.